Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are moments in the Bible, moments where it feels like time stands still and God holds up a magnifying glass and says, now pay attention here because this moment, this precious moment contains multitudes. Today's scripture is one of those moments, so familiar that many of us could tell this story by heart and yet so profound that our entire faith tradition hangs on just a few short sentences. We worship a God of liberation, a God who promises to free us from the chains that bind us, literal chains of historic bondage and oppression, and also the chains of shame, of selfishness, of despair, of the personal baggage we all carry, and of our collective sins of racism and bigotry, violence and destruction. We pray to God to free us from these chains, free us from what holds us down, free us for the work of building God's kingdom of justice and mercy for all people. We pray to be washed in the waters of liberation, like the Israelites who passed through the Red Sea, like a child offered new life in Christ through the waters of baptism. The image of the Exodus, freedom from captivity in Egypt, is so central to our understanding of God and of who we are as God's people. But God's liberating work didn't begin and end in the drama of the Red Sea crossing. It began years before, at a very different body of water. The first move, the first step towards liberation was an act of bravery. And not just one act, but multiple acts. A communal act of bravery. We know the setting. A new pharaoh rose over Egypt. This pharaoh did not know the Israelite people. Obsessed with power and control, though his kingdom stretches as far as the eastern Mediterranean, covering modern-day Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. And though the text does not include a single hint of rebellion among the Israelites, still, he is consumed by fear of the growing Israelite nation. Note, this is the first time in scripture when the descendants of Abraham are called a nation. The new Pharaoh forces them into back-breaking labor, using them to further his own material interests, building Pithom and Ramesses as storehouses for the treasury. In one generation, the Israelites go from having Joseph, one of their own, serving as an advisor to Pharaoh and enjoying special accommodations when famine strikes the land, to being outcast, othered, and persecuted. 
As Pharaoh's paranoid fear intensifies, he issues the ultimate decree that all male babies born to the Israelite women must be killed. This is where the story shifts from a painful account of oppression to the planting of the seeds of liberation. God's intervention into the crisis, however, comes not in the dramatic sweeping events, but in small ones. The birth of a little baby, the cleverness of midwives, and a tiny basket boat floating on the water. Even the people who are central to this story are among the overlooked in society, in this case, the women. Only two of these women are named. Even this is unusual in scripture where women tend to be nameless, but all of them face danger. All of them take risks. All of them work around and beneath those who hold much more power than they do, at least in the eyes of the world. Shifra and Pua. Torah's famous midwives, seemingly unfazed by potential repercussions, do not fear the Egyptian king despite his dangerous paranoia. Rather, the midwives fear God. Such a fear compels them to defy the order of Pharaoh and openly disobey the royal command to murder Hebrew boys. They knew that the law was evil and they feared God too much to obey it. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Unequivocally, unquestioningly, in service to a higher power, these midwives defy Pharaoh's order. This act of resistance is to usher in new and beautiful life. Women continue to resist in the remainder of the passage. When Moses' mother puts the child on the River Nile, she must know that Pharaoh's palace is just downriver, making her actions more strategic and even more daring. After all, for this baby to survive, not just anyone can find him. What's amazing is this strategy works. His little ark basket floats right into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. And this is the magnifying glass moment in the middle of this pivotal story. Pharaoh's daughter took pity on the child and says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. And Moses' sister, who just happens to be nearby, asks, shall I get someone to nurse the child for you? If Sojourner Truth had been on the scene, she might have asked, and ain't this a baby? Miriam's question moves Pharaoh's daughter from a place of merely observing the child, having pity for him, to considering whether the child deserves to be cared for, whether he deserves to be nurtured and raised up, whether he deserves a chance at life. And Pharaoh's daughter, like Mary, 14 centuries in the future, says yes. These women, the defiant midwives, the strategic mother, the watchful sister, the daring princess, 
act together to make ready the way of liberation to birth possibility. Moses is delivered from that dangerous life and death water. In fact, his name means drawn from the water. He is delivered from that dangerous river that should have meant death for the Hebrew boy, but instead comes to be his means of rescue and not for the last time. Could these midwives have imagined that in saving one child, in delivering one child out of the dangerous waters, they would be liberating an entire people through the waters of the Red Sea? God, working through defiant women of courage. As so often happens with God, transformation comes in unexpected ways through surprising people. We are in a turbulent time, a time when fear is leveraged to divide our nation and otherwise entire communities. We know that we have a long journey ahead of us through an unknown wilderness. And we know on the other side, God will be with us in the building of a new nation of justice and mercy for all people. But before we can take the beginning steps of the journey, we must unbind ourselves from that which weighs us down, from the shame, the selfishness, the despair, the personal baggage we carry. We must be delivered from the dangerous waters of self-deception, denial, apathy, and then we must become the midwives of liberation. A midwife deeply trusts the process of bringing new life into being. She pays acute attention to the breath, the heartbeat, always tuned to the vital signs of new life growing, beating, preparing to emerge. And she is not afraid of pain, of the mess of bringing something new to life. She holds the pain and the fear. She brings courage and resolve and love. The role of midwife, traditionally a female role, is one that we are all now called to learn from and step into. We are all midwives of the future, of new ways of doing and being and creating healing and relating, trying to make their way into the world. There will be blood and tears, and there may be times when it would be easier to say, this is all too much, just make it stop. But as midwives, we must stay calm, focused, and undeterred, dedicated to our task of helping a new way come into being. As midwives, may we hold the pain and the fear and tap into the love and strength of our ancestors. And may we know with our full beings that new life and a new world is on the way. <laughs>